Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland, for innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. Welcome into the Five Reasons flagship podcast. I'm Ethan Skolnick. You didn't hear music at the top because we're getting straight to it today. We've got no Chris Whittingham. He is overseas. He decided to take off at the most important time of the year, and I don't blame him. He wanted to get out of South Florida. Everybody wants to get out of Miami lately, it seems. And so today I am joined by Uptown Report. That's how you know him on Twitter. He's Alfredo Artiega. Uh, you also can find him on the Three Arts Per Carry podcast which typically goes every Tuesday and Thursday on our network. They've been going once a week here during the holidays where he's on with Simon Clancy, who's usually complaining about me, and Chris Kaufman, um, who actually I'm communicating with by text, Alf, as we speak. So we'll get to some of his information here on the podcast. But before we get to what we want to talk about today, which is obviously the Dolphins' latest debacle and how the season ended and where they're going to go from here and some of the news that we have to break. I want to tell you about the two sponsors of our podcast today. One of them is Doral Toyota. One of our great partners, which like us, is Pure South Florida. Doral Toyota, you can find all of your favorite Toyota models, whether you're looking for a new, used, or certified pre-owned vehicle. They're located over at 9775 Northwest 12th Street. That's 9775 Northwest 12th Street, just a few blocks from International and Dolphins Malls. Experience the Doral difference. Actually, I said Dolphins Malls. It's actually Dolphin Malls. We don't want to associate Doral Toyota too closely with the Dolphins. Experience the Doral difference, which means four years of complimentary maintenance and roadside assistance on all new vehicles, in-house financing available for credit-related issues. And here's the big thing. If you mention five reasons when you call 305-680-1129 or come into the dealership, you work directly with a dedicated manager, not a salesperson. So you will talk to the Steve Ross of Five Reasons, not the Matt Burke. Unlike other dealers, Doral Toyota prides itself on an honest and transparent buying process. That's Doral Toyota, DoralToyota.com, or stop in at 9775 Northwest 12th Street. Vamos, let's go. But before we do, the other sponsor of our podcast is Brunt Insurance. All of your protection under one roof, Brunt Insurance offers home, auto, commercial, and life insurance, and they're licensed to write insurance for the entire state of Florida. That's Pensacola all the way down to the Keys. They've got multiple carriers for all the product lines to ensure you're paying the lowest possible rate in your area. And they're also proud sponsors of the Homes for Heroes program, which offers special discounts for first responders, teachers, military, and healthcare professionals. Call Greg. Talk some dolphins with him. He's frustrated also. At 954-589-2204. That's 954-589-2204 to reach Brunt Insurance or go to bruntinsurance.com. All right, let's get to the podcast. Now, 
Alf, right now, are you at home? Yes. Okay. I'm sitting in a photo room at American Airlines Arena. I watched the Heat lose today, which was a perfect capper to this day. Um, but their coach did not get fired. He's not going to get fired. Um, Eric Spolster is going nowhere. One coach in this market resigned today, Mark Richt, at about 12.48, right before the Dolphin game started, uh, just to give as little relevance to this Dolphin game as humanly possible. And then the other Dolphin coach went out and lost uh, by three and a half touchdowns to the Buffalo Bills and fell to 31st in the league in offense. So let me ask you this first. Is mm -hmm. the ink dry on that contract to Temple by Manny Diaz or – is well, there a way to take that one back? Well, I, well, I said today, like, I understand why Mark Rick didn't do this three weeks ago because that was prior to the bowl game. Um, but it would have been nice if Mark Rick did this three weeks ago because uh, they would have had their head coach already in place. And, look, the buyout for Manny Diaz at a temple is not going to be as big as the buyout for Mario Cristobal in Oregon. And you're also not fighting a, a school in temple that is backed by Nike money. Uh, like Oregon is. Um, I've heard that Cristobal is their top target, and we're going to talk more Canes uh, as the week goes on. Luis Zabala is going to join me as the Whittingham stand-in tomorrow, and he, he has a pretty close relationship with Cristobal, so I think that'll be pretty good. But yeah, I, look, nothing worked out for the Canes this year, and I feel kind of stupid because when we had Chris Fisher on ALF to talk about the five biggest sports stories of South Florida for 2018, this is why you wait, right? Because I had, I think, Ricked and the Canes at number three behind sort of the Heat, you know, becoming mediocre and then Dwayne Wade returning. And I, I now I would have had them first probably, actually. Because, um, I mean, it was just a total disaster. I mean, you go from 10-0 and 0 last year to losing your last three to going 7-6 and six and, you know, not beating any high-level schools except beating down FSU and Virginia Tech. I mean, it's been a disaster. And, and it's the only thing that could have been more a disaster than the Dolphins. So, so transition to that. Let's. I don't. I don't want to spend a lot of time on today, right? Um, but <laughs> I don't but, but that in either. I don't think. No, no, he certainly did. I, 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 did he? Did he? Did he go to the game? I wasn't sure. the The only time I was aware that Gase was there was in the press conference when Kim Bocamper asked him a perfectly reasonable uh, question. I've noticed that Bocamper is the only one who asks questions in these post game press conferences. Uh, that Bo asked him a totally reasonable question about like evaluating the season and when he was going to do that. And Gase proceeded to name every player on the roster who was not available to him in the last three weeks. Like that, that was, that was the answer that he had. Uh, the excuses never stop. But what did, what did you make of today? Let, let's hit on that first. Well, if there was one play that really embodied the entire season and, it at least embodied today, but it really embodied the entire season. There was a play sometime in the second quarter where the Bills, they have a guy called Jerry Hughes. And for fans that are not as, you know, obsessed with the NFL as we are on three yards per carry, Jerry Hughes is a hell of a pass rusher. He's probably top five, six in that neighborhood. They flex out into like a wide nine, which is our system. You know, it's outside of the tackle. And who's out there to block him is Nick O'Leary. Now, okay, Nick O'Leary's a nice player, but he shouldn't be blocking guys that are headed for 13 and 14 sacks in, in the season. And Larry Tunsil looks back at Tannehill and says, okay, I got a defensive tackle lined up right in front of me. So obviously O'Leary has him, right? And Tannehill doesn't change the play. The ball gets snapped, and sure enough, Jerry Hughes comes across the 
across the edge. Mm-hmm. It's a sack, fumble. They recover the football. And it's pretty much game over from then on because it becomes from a 14-14 game to 21-14 and so forth. So this team just never, never really seems to learn or adjust or even breathe during games. It's like when, whenever something bad happens, they just compound it. Like there's a fire, somebody go quick, go get a, a gallon of gasoline to throw, throw it on top of this. <laughs> well, it, 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 it's interesting you mentioned that play because I, I happened to get in the car uh, right before that play. So I was listening to the, the radio broadcast and Joe Rose just eviscerated Tannehill for that play. <laughs> like, like just, you know, not understanding who was in protection there and, and what was going on. And, and I think if we were to kind of sum up the Dolphin season, I was thinking about this today. It's great that you mentioned that particular play. I would say their slogan should have been lack of awareness. Like, like the whole, to me, everything with them was, was lack of awareness. It was like lack of awareness, you know, for Matt Burke in terms of changing coverages when they needed to be changed or playing the right players at the right time or lack of awareness for certain things that Adam Gase said publicly or lack of awareness for Ryan Tannehill in the pocket or lack of awareness for the, the players that you should be using instead of other players. It's just, is an organization that, you know, that, that I, I haven't seen the movie cause I got to admit it, Alf, I don't have Netflix. Like I'm the, I own the stock, but I don't own, I don't actually subscribe to Netflix. Like I, I'm like, the la- you should be selling that pretty soon. Well, I know. I, well, I, I started to short it actually at one point, but yes, I now, right now I own it. And, and so, you know, I don't have Netflix. Like I'm like the last person alive that doesn't, but I obviously see the memes, the bird box memes. And, and seriously, just, just put the blindfold over the dolphin logo. Like let's, let's just do that. And, and go, because I feel like they're operating in the dark, like everything they're doing is operating in the dark. And, and that was today. And, the reason I don't want to make too big a deal of today is I did a patron commentary like two hours before the game to say, let's not make anything of today. Because my concern, Alf, was that Steve Ross, who seems to be affected by the last thing he sees all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, this is like 2014 where he brought Philbin back at the end. Because He's a fan. He's a what? fan. I tell, he, I tell people all the time. Uh, you may think that this guy's just in his, in his penthouse in New York. No, he's a fan. He watches the game as a fan. And that's not good. He feels your pain. He feels well, your pain. The same well, pain you're feeling, he feels it. Right. Well, like, yeah, like Bill Clinton felt our pain. But, like, it, it, but it, it's not great all the time that he does that uh, be, because he reacts to the last thing that he sees. And so my concern about today was going to be that for better or worse, whether they played well or they played poorly, that he was going to make a decision based on today. And so if I'm going to say before the game that he shouldn't do that, then I'm not going to focus on what a debacle this was. But it was a debacle, okay? It was awful, all right? It was awful. And it was the culmination of everything that's happened this season. And I think it would have been the same if the game meant something. You see, see that's the problem, mm-hmm. is that, like, everybody's like, well, yeah, exactly. And so people are like, well, you know, if the Jacksonville Buffalo games are really, no, the Jacksonville game did mean something before they played it. Now that everything broke, I'm like, they, there were like eight results in a row that went against the Dolphins during that period of time, like around the league. But mm-hmm. if it had meant something, they would have lost it anyway. If, yeah. if the Bills game, they would have lost it anyway. And today, because that's what they do. And today, what they did was they dropped to 31st in the league in offense because the Bills outgained by more than 150 and they were 16 yards behind coming in. And they also posted a one, minus 114 point differential on the season, which put them 30th in the league, ahead of only Arizona and Oakland. And this 
Alf was my argument all year, okay, was that they were simply nowhere near as good as their record the whole season. And that eventually injuries or no injuries, and we, we're going to touch on those, but injuries or no injuries, that was going to catch up with them. The, when you have a point differential like that, it was going to catch up. And for everybody who says, well, they could have won the Cincy game if Tannehill doesn't get hurt and start making stupid decisions, sure. They could have won the Indy game if Gase doesn't brain lock at the end of that game and a bunch of things don't break wrong and Luck doesn't make a play and maybe there's a holding call call that should have been called. Okay, but then also, if you're going to take those two, if Charles Clay hadn't fastened himself to the end zone, if uh, Cody Parkey hadn't missed a kick that he always makes on a field that he was comfortable kicking on, and if you don't get one of the greatest plays of all time to beat the Patriots, those are three wins that could have been losses. So I always based it on what the metrics were saying, and the metrics were saying that this was playing like a 5-11 and 11 team the whole year. And so 7-9 and nine is actually better than that. They beat the over-under. I know because I bet it. It was 6.5. I know you bet it also. Um, and so they beat that, but they were no better than that. And so... I think it's the only good thing about today, Alf, is the result was so resounding that if it had gone the other way, my concern was if the Dolphins went up there and put up 42, right? Okay, then like Ross was, oh, they were playing hard for Adam Gase and Ryan. Like I was afraid he was going to go to that direction. I guess it's better if it was going to be a catastrophe that it would have this kind of that, that it would, that's what it would be and so essentially Ross can't go if he was thinking of getting rid of people he needs to get rid of he's not going to go against that now yeah well I let's just take it chronologically this season they had every single opportunity to show us that they were a little bit better or even really good let's just go right back to the the the, the fourth game of the season against the Patriots on the podcast I said I didn't even expect them to win I was asking them to lose by a touchdown. Had they done that, they would have showed me, okay, this is a different team that's ready to compete with the Patriots, ready to at least push them right down to the wire, even though they're, they're fading. No, they don't do that. They lose 38-7. to They get blown out. The following week, they're in Cincinnati. They have a 17-point lead. They blow that in the fourth quarter. Okay? Now, forget about the indie game, but you have Detroit at home, a team that's completely reeling, and they run for almost 270 yards on you, okay? So Tannehill gets hurt. He comes back. You play Indianapolis in what is essentially a loser-go-home game. And you're playing a pretty hot team with a pretty hot quarterback that had averaged over 30 points a game for five consecutive weeks, had beaten everybody by double digits, and you have them down by 10 points in their place with five minutes to go. You blow that too. Now – you have all of these opportunities that keep getting presented to you and you keep blowing them, even though that there's three games left and you decide, okay, all right, fine. I, beating the Minnesota Vikings is probably too tall of an order, but why not? They're a 500 team that's also reeling. They had also fired their offensive coordinator. No, no, you're dope. You go down 21 to nothing. You draw close and then you get completely blown out. Now, what are, we, what are we presented with the last two games of the season? Okay, fine. Go nine and seven and show us, you know what? We overachieved maybe, or we, we produced exactly what you expected us to produce. But you don't do that. You play one of your worst games of the year, one of the worst games of the three years in, in the gay era, especially since it was, at, it was at home against the Jacksonville Jaguars. You get blown out, really, because, you know, come on. Uh, they were bringing Blake Bortles off the bench, and he was looking like a world beater compared to, to what they had going earlier. You lose 17-7. to seven. You, you even 
come out the following week and say, you know what, eight and eight sounds better than seven and nine. And what happens? You get murdered again. Three weeks in a row to go seven and nine. This team did nothing extraordinary. This team only underachieved, underdelivered, really never overpromised because they never really showed that they were going to do much more than what was expected. So, yeah, this is if there's a case for really just firing everybody, it's really this game actually helps the cause because it just mm-hmm. puts a punctuation on what they produced this year, which was basically nothing. You produced one play. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll always have that Chicago Bears game, which was pretty interesting, pretty fun to watch. And we'll have that play that will live on forever, the miracle of Miami, but it really didn't amount to much because it didn't put you in the playoffs. It didn't really catapult you to doing anything else. So, well, well, and, and the Patriots. achieving team. Well, and the Patriots ended up getting the two seed anyway, yeah, uh, and a bye. And you got outscored after the miracle in Miami, uh, which I know they're still sort of pawning off with emails to season ticket holders. Uh, that you you got outscored one hundred to forty one in the last three games. So I mean, if yeah. you were going to build on on any of the momentum of that game, even before the miracle in Miami or the or shock at the rock, whatever you want to call it, that they played well in that game. So you're like, okay, can you build? off of that but they just they they just packed it in they packed it and they packed it in in a way that I did not see Tony Sperano teams or Dave Wanstead teams or or even I mean I know Jimmy 627 everybody's going to bring that up but that was a playoff game uh yeah. and, and uh, okay and, and or even even you know uh, uh you know Philbin teams okay I I, I, have, I have not seen a Dolphin team just pack it in the way that they did. And I think what you're getting at earlier is when one thing would go wrong for this team, there was no resilience at all. No. Uh, and, and, and so that's the most frustrating. And so we can go through the injury list if people want to. And, and I recognize that losing Parker, excuse me, well, Parker, that's a Freudian slip. Losing Wilson, okay, I mean, Parker, they played today. They risked $9.4 million. They threw the ball three times. He's never open. He had no catches. Um, but – you know, losing Wilson and losing Grant, even though he wasn't playing enough. Okay, I'm not going to count Gore. I mean, that was the last two games of the season, uh, and they needed to get Balage on the field anyway. And, and so, and, and losing Sitton when they did. Okay, losing Kilgore, even though he might not have been playing well. Losing William Hayes. I mean, it's a long list of people that they lost. But they also had a bunch of people who played, who gave them nothing this year. They got nothing yeah. from Mike Asiki. They got nothing from Charles Harris when he played. They got nothing from Robert Quinn for a fourth-round pick. Uh, they got very little from Kenyon Drake compared to what they were supposed to get, and I blame the coach for a lot of that. Uh, they, they got very little out of Kenny Stills. I mean, he had half the targets per game that he had last year, which, again, I blame, you know, to a certain degree, the coach, the quarterback situation, uh, and all of that for, for his decline of production. They got nothing out of Parker. I mean, these were guys, these were guys who actually played this season, um, and their, their leading rusher was Gores, 30, you know, and their leading receiver was Amendola. You're talking about two guys in their 30s. Okay, so those acquisitions worked out, but they were not supposed to lead your team in those categories. So, you know, the the injuries thing and why why Gase has gone to it, and we're going to get to Gase in a second. I want to go person by person here with some news that we have. Um, First is Matt Burke. We're reporting collectively, bringing Chris Kaufman into this, uh, that Matt Burke's going to get fired tomorrow. Okay, so that's the one thing that we're comfortable reporting. There's other things we're hearing 
that we may be able to report by the end of the night, by the time that you've listened to this podcast, but we are hearing for sure that Matt Burke is, is gone. Um, you've been making that case all year, Alf. Yes. So that's not a big surprise. I made uh, it after week two. Right. So, but, so I guess, what does it mean in the grand scheme? It just, it just means they're going to go out and get somebody with more experience, right? Than, mm-hmm. than, than Matt Burke had. Yeah. The, now, you would say, okay, uh, just go get Todd Bowles. You know, everything's fixed. But would Todd Bowles want to really risk signing a, a two-year deal with an, a one-year-out if he knows that maybe Adam Gase is fired in a year? So you got to be very, very careful with who you sign here and what contract you give them because uh, I don't think that Stephen Ross is going to want to pay somebody for not being here when he – eventually probably fires Adam Gase in a year if he doesn't produce. So I don't know who can be available that's an actual star, let's say, as defensive coordinator. See, one of the things I always look at when guys get fired from the Dolphins is what jobs they end up with afterwards. Mm-hmm. I don't know that Matt Burke will ever be a defensive coordinator again. I, 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 he's going to be a linebacker's coach. He's maybe a defensive ends coach. Uh, I, I don't know that he'll ever be a coordinator again. There's been so many of these guys who've come through here and they never end up with a job as high as the one they had with the Dolphins, which tells you something about the way that the Dolphins hire people. Uh, but uh, look, this had to happen. Um, you've made the case before that the Dolphins had better talent on their defense than it was playing to. And I think even with the injuries, and again, Gase went through all of them today. It was frankly pathetic okay I, I mean it's just he's, he's got it at the tip of his tongue I mean I, I, I'm down here at the heat today and I'm just you know I, I'm thinking about Eric Spolster ever doing what Gase did like you know it's it, I mean yeah, Spo always says, always, Spo always says we, have, we have enough we have enough even when we know that it's obvious that you do not have enough and right you can't win this game but he still says says yeah, we have enough. We have enough you, to win. Any you, know, you know why he says that? A, he doesn't, he doesn't want excuses made for him. But B, is the Heat have been really good over the years at finding the Derek Joneses and the Rodney Magruders and, you know, the Tyler Johnsons before they overpaid him and the Whitesides and the Ike Austins and the Anthony Carters and the Bruce Bowens and the Malik Allens and the Mike Jameses and all the rest of these guys, right? And what they do is – they never want to make those guys feel like they're inadequate compared to the players that they're replacing. And I'm, lis- I'm listening to Gase today, and he basically was telling you exactly what Gary Stevens said to Kevin Ding, who was then at the Miami Herald. He now works for Lakers.com. Back, I believe, in 1997 or 98, where Gary Stevens, the offensive coordinator at the time, asked uh, Mark Clayton and Mark Duper about Gary, Gary Stevens. They had some interesting things to say on, on the Fish Tank podcast. Where Gary, you know, Ding caught Gary Stevens in the parking lot in Davie, and Stevens was about to get fired. He says, what do you want me to do? Make chicken salad out of chicken shit? Yeah. Okay. And I feel like that's what Gase is saying. That's what he's saying to his team. He said today, essentially, in not so many words, but this is what he was saying. He kept talking about third down, right? We, and their third down numbers are awful. All right. Yes. And he kept talking about third down and he kept saying, well, we don't really have a play for that. Like we're okay if we get into third and short, but third and long. And then he started talking about using Balaj out of the wildcat. Dude, you're the head coach, the play caller, and the offensive coordinator, essentially. Like mm. if you don't have a play for that, isn't that your problem? Or are you you're blaming the guys that you have in there when a lot of those guys are guys you wanted and you cleared out other players to make room for them? So I, it's the whole thing is insane to me. But as far as Burke goes, before we go on, I think nice guy. Good story, mm-hmm. likes to backpack, 
that's all cool. Um, wasn't really good talker. I know, I know you spoke to him a little bit before the season, not, not really fit to be the defensive coordinator of this team. All right. So let's get, let's get to the next one, uh, which is, which is Gase. And I'm doing this first because the dolphins always do things backwards. So let's do this backwards. Um, Chris Kaufman has a theory and I've come around to this theory and I, I know he's talked to him some additional people since I've talked to some former players who kind of have a, an in in the dolphin locker room since um, some of the dolphins comments from the last couple of weeks have struck me as interesting. Adam Gase has, has talked. I'm not saying he's coached like, although he has to a degree, he's talked like a guy who wants out of here. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's, He's done like this accountability thing, like has always been an issue for me, but every time I used to bring it up, you guys would shoot it down or somebody on Twitter would shoot it down. But even CK has come around to, he's taken no accountability for the last three weeks at all. Um, and, And it's, it's enough of a departure that it's, it has to be intentional. Like, like it has to be, he can't be this tone deaf where he's trying to get fired. First, he's blaming uh, the you know the road woes on you know playing teams that were <laughs> excuse me that were hot, right? <laughs> I, I mean I mean Buffalo was hot. I mean was he going to include that one? They got outscored by more than 130 points this year on the road. And they it were one really and seven. Matter. It doesn't really matter because the 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 rebuttal to that is okay. You played a really hot Indianapolis Colts team. Mm-hmm. You were up 10 points on them with five minutes to go. Why didn't you beat them? And his answer is always going to say, oh, we didn't execute on this one play or we didn't execute on this Well, he play. wouldn't even take the blame for the play that everybody was on him for, which was the – I mean, it was the third down call. He, he made it about the second down call, so he took some accountability. But you're right. Like, they had them beat, okay? Clearly, he believes that the Cincinnati game was Ryan's fault. And, and that one's mm-hmm. hard to argue, Okay. But the Indianapolis game was Gase's fault. Like it's, yes. I, there's, 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 just, there's just no way around that. And so this thing, we played hot teams on the road. Like, okay, if you now include Buffalo in the mix, I did the numbers before they played Buffalo. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game? I've got a better idea. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy. I went through some life changes, major life events, had some difficulties, wasn't a believer in therapy, but it helped me and it can help you also. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Miami Heat today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com, slash Miami Heat. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. The teams, I would have to look at the other teams and what they did today because that plays into it. 
But essentially, those teams had a 500 record this year against everybody else. Okay, so uh, yes, their record was better than 500 overall, but that's because they went seven and one against the Dolphins. Uh, but but they they had a 500 record, you know, against everybody else. And so, like, what is Gay saying? Like, we can only beat bad teams playing poorly on the road. Like, that's the bar. Okay, like evidently that's what he was he was like reaching for. Right. So right. Which so that in in and of itself. Right. So so that's okay. So that's been the first thing. That one was ludicrous. All right. And the second one has been the injury thing, which. You know, it's one thing to say, you know, we didn't have a lot of our top guys, but it's like it's just become his default mechanism for everything. It's it's you know, and and if you want to make that case privately to Steve Ross, like I was telling Winningham this last like if you want to make that case privately, like you want to say, look, you saw it, you saw what we were doing when we had Wilson and Grant, you saw the high five, you saw the high scoring plays, you saw that Ryan was starting to come on a little bit or at least find his form. And then Ryan gets hurt and Wilson gets hurt. and All these other guys get hurt. And then we can't stop the run because we don't have Hayes. And, our, you know, we, we can't get protection up the middle. We can't get any push because we don't have Sitton and Kilgore. Like, you saw all this, right, Steve? Right, Steve? Like, yeah. if you want to make that case privately, like, you make the case privately and you see how that fits, all right? But, like, why is he doing that publicly? Unless he's trying to separate him either – well, a few things. One, he's just a person with no accountability. That, that's one option. Okay, that's not a great option. You don't want that in your head coach because the players hear that and the players hate that shit. Okay, they hate it because then, yeah. then if it's not on him, it's on them, right? It's on the guys who are playing, so they don't like that. Or number two, he's trying to separate himself from Mike Tannenbaum in some way. Like, this is his fault, not mine. Like, I didn't have, you know, I needed depth and I didn't have it. So it could be that. Or three, he's trying to get to Cleveland to coach Baker Mayfield. Like, I, yeah. I don't – it's one of those three things because it's not normal. And what I've seen on Twitter, Alf, is people who were on me for getting on Gase and calling him cocky Joe Philbin and all the rest of that, like, like they've stopped defending him after the comments the last couple of weeks. So he's lost the crowd. Like, he's lost the argument. So what, what do you th – of those three, what do you think it is? Why is he doing this? Well, we know for a fact, and we were on this, you know, all of last offseason, that there was one quarterback that he was particularly in love with. That you could say, actually, okay, he, he wanted to move heaven and earth to draft this guy, and that was Baker Mayfield. The evidence is pretty clear that he didn't want Lamar Jackson because they could have had Lamar Jackson easily, okay? He didn't want Josh Allen because it was only like three, three spots that they needed to move up to go get him. He didn't want Josh. He didn't want Josh Rosen because he needed to move up one spot to go get him. So if he really pounded the table for any of these other quarterbacks, they could have easily gone up to get him. The one that he couldn't get because you had to move up all the way up to number one was Baker Mayfield. So does he have some type of secret indication that hey, if I'm fired, and there is some evidence to suggest that the the top the top GM prospect for for Cleveland is Joe Douglas and Joe Douglas is in love with Adam Gase. You know, you can start to put a and B and C together and sometimes it equals four, you know what I mean? And yeah, it, maybe he has some type of secret indication that, yeah, if you're fired, you're a candidate here. And if you're a candidate here, you know who your quarterback is. And it's the guy that you wanted to, to begin with. So yeah, I don't think that that, that conspiracy theory, is particularly crazy and you could see it like in the next few because they already fired greg williams by the way that's kind of mm -hmm. breaking news 
So I don't think it's that crazy. You can see it like in the next two, three weeks, that type of thing kind of play out. Yeah, it's, I, I mentioned that to Jason Jackson today at the Heat game, and he was horrified because he's a Browns fan. But I, 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 think it's, I definitely think it's possible, and it would explain some things. And we also have some other intel which we'll be developing here um, that things have not been rosy behind the scenes with Adam Gase and the team for a little while. Uh, that's all I can really say about that. But um, I think all of this, this puzzle may start to fit together soon. Um, one of the other things that happens, and I, I, you know, I mentioned this on the pod last week, is when teams go south and people's jobs are on the line, that everybody picks a favorite reporter and they start to yeah. leak. They start to leak out what they want out there. And so we're going to get a lot of dirt. A lot. This, is, this week is going to be more fun for Dolphin fans than the entire season was. It, it is because it's just it's all, all the dirty laundry is going to get aired. And there are some people inside that building that can't help talking, just cannot help talking. And we kind of know who their reporters are and we're going to know where this stuff is coming from because, you know, it's, it's kind of difficult to hide the stuff if you're not all that skilled at it. But I can tell you that more of that is going to get out. All right. So with Gase, look, I've said all along that you need to bring in an executive and let that executive evaluate Adam Gase, all of his regime and compare that against other coaching candidates. I mean, that's what I would do. And I don't know if that's what Steve Ross is going to do. I don't know if today may have pushed him to that, which if that's the case, then good. Uh, but, you know, Ross's whole thing, I mean, we're hearing the Harbaugh reports, or both Harbaugh's, but particularly John today, we're hearing the Harbaugh. I don't know if Ross is going to follow that strategy or if he's going to half-ass it again and force an executive to keep a head coach. I'm not sure. Um, but, but you know, I, I wouldn't put anything past, past the Dolphin situation at this stage. Let's get to Tannenbaum here. As of the moment, he's still there. Mm-hmm. All the reporting has been that he's gone. Um, I'd actually heard it weeks ago that he was probably on the way out. I didn't have anything concrete, though. And you know, now you know, we're getting more concrete stuff. Uh, what would you put the percentage at that he stays? And of the names that are out there, you mentioned Joe Douglas, Elliot Wolf's been mentioned, Reggie McKenzie. I know you're not a big Lewis Riddick guy, um, you know, but there's, there's a bunch of names. You know, George Payton is somebody that I kind of admire. Obviously, the Vikings didn't make the playoffs this year, but I still think he'll be in some demand. Um, what uh, what would you put the percentage of Tannenbaum back and, and which just pick one, which, which of the guys out there would be most attractive to you? Okay. Now, as far as Mike Tannenbaum being back, I was, I would put that at 0% and which is interesting because he's going to leave this team with a very good cap situation, very good contracts all across the board and really just, you know, clearing the slate for big contracts to be given to Xavier Howard and Larry Tunsil. He did all of that. So he actually did his job in that regard. Where he didn't do his job, of course, were all the bad contracts he handed out and the players that he kind of forced upon the front office, like maybe Jordan Phillips, you know, maybe Devontae Parker. Those are the names that people like to assign to Mike Tannenbaum. So I would say that there's like 0% chance that he's back. As far as like bringing somebody in, yeah, George Patton makes a lot of sense. But why not just elevate to the vice, the VP role, Dan Marino, and mm-hmm. hand more responsibility to Chris Greer? Mm-hmm. Okay, Ozzie Newsom is going to be – well, he's not going to be fired, but he's going to retire at the end of the year. Do you know who will have the only general manager of African-American descent in the entire NFL? Yeah, the Dolphins. That? Yeah, it's amazing. Dolphins. Okay, 
So that I think that's something that Stephen Ross cares about. And Chris Greer has a very good reputation. Trust me. If he were fired today, he would have a job tomorrow. And mm-hmm. if he wouldn't have a job tomorrow, it's because he's probably interviewing across the league to eight, nine, ten teams to become either regional scout or head of pro personnel or maybe even general manager, maybe even vice VP. So I think that that's – if you're going to keep the current regime and you want to assign more power to somebody with a very good reputation that everybody likes that has actually kind of a proven track record because a lot of his evaluations have made it through, you know, the, the rumor mills and who wanted who and who wanted what, and we ended up drafting this guy because of this guy said what? Well, Chris Greer is a guy that checks a lot of boxes. Why not elevate Chris Greer to full general manager and just give Dan Marino the VP role to oversee the entire operation and have them make the decision? Because I think I trust, especially now since they're going to be in the hunt for a quarterback, I trust those guys. I especially trust Dan Marino. You know, Chris Coffin said it in our last podcast, why not have a Hall of Fame quarterback try to sniff out your next Hall of Fame quarterback? So that's what I would favor. I would favor something along those lines and have those guys make the decision. Well, as far as been around Adam Gase this entire time. Right. Well, well, and and that's see, part of my thing is, you know, my preference is that Gase goes and those two guys would probably keep him. But again, if I'm going to be consistent here and say you let them make the decision, then you let them make the decision. Uh, I, I agree with you that of everybody they have right now, we're talking about the person who would be most in demand and the open market would be Greer. Um, that that's mm-hmm. true. I, I I'm with you on that. I think his record is somewhat difficult to evaluate because there have been some busts thrown in there with the booms. Um, yes. and, and and you know so you know when I look at Minnesota's draft record, I I see like like their last three drafts, everybody is still in the NFL, mm-hmm. uh, and, and and a lot most of them are starting, and some of them are Pro Bowlers, and that even goes for for guys that weren't even drafted, like Adam Thielen, I mean, or or Diggs who was drafted late, and others that they've got there. Uh, I'm okay with what you're talking about in part because I do believe Dan Marino is at a phase of his life now where he would actually commit to this. In 2004, he had I think, and where he wants to get away from his wife. Well, let's not get into that. But this, <laughs> I mean, I well, I mean, I think that's a phase. What's that, your yeah, I, 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 phase I, in all of our lives? I, I think. Well, I'm, I'm gonna keep quiet on that. But that that's a phase in a lot of men's lives. Let's just leave it at that. Um, what I would say, what I would say to that is, uh, his kids, his kids were not totally grown in 2004. Yeah. They are now. Um, they're out of the house. I, I think that, as far as I know, I I think that changes the equation here a little bit. Um, you know, he has, he doesn't have the TV gig anymore that he's giving up, which he was giving up last time to do this. Um, I also think that he's been around a little bit more. There probably is more rapport with Chris Greer than there was with Rick Spielman. He didn't really know Rick uh, at, at all. Like, and, and I've talked about that press conference many times. It was one of the weirdest press conferences I've ever attended. Rick didn't even know he was supposed to wear a suit. He didn't know what his job was supposed to be. Wanstat was sitting there like staring people down because like he had just been told he was, he was losing final say and would probably be his last year. And, you know, and here was they were giving it to his buddy and Spielman and Marino, like 12 times he was talking to some of us on the side and like 12 times like, yeah, I got to get home. I, I got to get home to Claire. I mean, he kept, he kept saying it over and over and over. And then, then I was at the senior bowl in mobile, um, you know, a place I'd rather not ever return to. And, and he looked like as miserable as I've ever seen a human being. Like he was sitting, yeah. sitting on a bench in the rain, watching offensive linemen, 
go through drills. And it was like, that's not the right role for him. Now the right role for him may be Dan, pick a quarterback. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, you know, Dan and decide a- who to coach that quarterback. Right. Who's, who's the best coach for that quarterback. Now I know people are going to look at the Denver situation and they're going to say, well, with Elway, it's like he got a lot of things right, and then the past couple of years, he's gotten a lot of things wrong. Um, I mean, Vance Joseph's probably going to be fired by the time we finish this this podcast, so that didn't work out. The quarterback situation, I mean, Elway, who should know it as well as anybody, has pretty much bungled it. The only the only right decision he made was to let Osweiler walk. I mean, the, you know, you know Paxton yeah, Elway, Lynch. The only thing that John Elway ever did in Denver was spend a ton of money on defense. Mm-hmm. And then just tell Peyton Manning, hey, you want to win with this number one defense? That's all he did. Right, right. And, and, I mean, yes. and they won a Super Bowl. And, yeah, you know, congratulations. But, but since then, it's been Paxton Lynch and Trevor Simeon and, and Case Keenum. Um, and the defense keeps getting more, to more and more and more talented, and they don't win anything. They don't win anything. So, I, I, you know, I, I don't know necessarily that it's a panacea for everything. But at this point, the only downside to me of, of Marino is that – I, I really don't want his image to change. Like the only, the only thing that the fans have from the past 35, 40 years is that 84 season. Right. And, and Dan and the confidence and, you know, the fuck you attitude and all the rest of that stuff that made Dan, Dan. And like, if Dan looks like, you know, executive who's getting played by other executives around the NFL, the way that some of the Dolphins executives have recently, or he bombs on a draft pick or he picks the wrong quarterback. Like, do I, do, I, do I really want Dan Marino and Dwayne Wade in this market? Like, I wouldn't want Dwayne to be the GM of the Heat, like, and, and you know, and, and sign James Johnson to a four-year, $60 million contract to get blamed for it. Like, I, there's a part of me that wants Dan to be in this bubble, you know, where people just have this image of him as, you know, these, you know, uh, you know basically the, you know, the conquering quarterback and all the rest and not, not a, a learn-on-the-job executive. But other than that, I don't see really – uh, a downside to it. Now, of the other guys we've talked about, Elliot Wolf. We we had um, Kyle Krabs on, you know, from Grinding the Tape. He's a big Elliot Wolf guy. I, so uh, that that one's interesting. I, I mentioned Peyton. I, I the thing about him is that, you know, I, he he's worked hand in hand with Spielman on in, in what has been a very successful, at least from a player procurement standpoint, uh, you know, organization in Minnesota. He's a smart guy. He's not old. Um, he's the type of person who they've talked about running his own show for a long time. He's familiar with the Dolphin organization, even though he worked for Heising and not Ross. So that one's interesting to me. Reggie McKenzie's interesting to me. Like I, I feel like he was doing a good job in Oakland until Gruden got out there, um, and he has the Green Bay background, which I like. So there are options for Ross. I just wish Ross would make a decision to hire an executive and allow that executive to evaluate the head coach if he has the opportunity to do that. Um, last one here before we go, and again, this is a no-frills podcast. We didn't throw a bunch of music and all the rest of it. We just want to get right to stuff. John Harbaugh is going back to the playoffs uh, with a rookie quarterback mm-hmm. that the Dolphins could have drafted. But it doesn't seem like things are going well for him there in Baltimore, at least that there seems to be a desire to move on. Would you trade a draft pick of any kind for the rights to John Harbaugh? Well, let's start with this. Uh, Lamar Jackson today set an NFL record for consecutive games with a fumble, okay? And if you watch him just a little bit, just, you know, forget about the scores, forget about the highlights, just watch him. He can't play quarterback. He's a running quarterback, but that team finds a way to win. And how do they find a way to win? Because he adjusts. Because John Harbaugh is a really, really good coach. 
they took a bunch of guys that I really, I really don't know. Like I know, I, I knew the, the uh, Alex Collins when he was running the ball for them. They have some guy number 35 and I follow the NFL. I don't know who the hell that guy is. He ran for like 90 yards today. So they built an offense around a rookie quarterback and a really good defense that he seems to find guys to, to fit in. And they ran, they ran off six out of their last seven and made the playoffs. That suggests a guy who's actually really, really good at, at his job. So now the Dolphins are going to draft like maybe 13th, I would say. That's a pretty high, high price to pay. But maybe Stephen Ross is desperate enough to actually trade that first-round pick for him. Now, would I trade that first-round pick? No, because I don't think a, a head coach is worth that much. But would I, take, would I trade, like, let's say, a second-round pick for him? Absolutely. Because he's proven that he is better than the rest. He is a guy who can take, like you said earlier, he can take, you know, chicken shit and turn it into chicken salad. Because the, those teams, the, those Ravens teams that he's taken, they haven't been all that great. The one, no. he, you know, the, the one that he won a Super Bowl with, look at that roster. Yeah, yeah. they had some good defensive players. They weren't better than that 49er team. They just weren't. No. You know, he, he's never had a lead offensive talent. Uh, he, he's they, they've always struggled to find receivers. I mean, that year, you know, he had but Bolden was there that year, right? That was before because he was on both teams. It was, but like he's he's never had. I mean, he had Torrey Smith for a little while, but he he's never had like a collection of elite receivers. You know, they've run through a bunch of backs. I mean, they look Ray Rice they had in his prime, and then he fell off, and then obviously was out of the NFL after that. But he's always it's always one of those teams you look at at the beginning of the year. You're like wow they're not really good and then you're like but they're probably going to make a run late in the season like I, they're mm-hmm. probably going to get to 10 somehow and I, I made the stupid mistake on bet dsi this year of going under i think it was eight and a half and I, as soon as i did it i was like you know he's probably that's like that's a seven win roster but he's probably gonna and flacco's not very good anymore he's probably gonna get to 10 um i'm with you about trading first round picks i obviously Look, uh, it's it's worked at especially times, when they might, especially when they might need that first round pick right. this year to package with something else. Yeah, to go get that quarterback that right. you may want or need. Right, that that makes it really tough. Even if they're in the future, I mean, look, it's worked for some teams. Obviously, you know, Tampa doing it uh, for Gruden several years ago worked. I mean, look, the Heat had to give up a first round pick to get Pat Riley, but you were getting him to run the whole organization. I I don't think that they're going to be handing the keys of the organization to John Harbaugh. Um, but, you know, I, so I, I don't know that I would give up a first, but I, I guess what's unfortunate about this is we're at this stage and we can close here, but I think we're at this stage with Steve Ross where there's just no trust of his football decisions. Mm-hmm. And so I don't trust him to find the next great young coach. Like I'm done with that. Like I'm not totally against teams going out and getting a guy who doesn't have experience, but I'm not for Steve Ross going out and getting a guy without experience. I don't know that he can identify what's necessary. I thought with Gase because the national media loved him so much. He does great PR or his agent does because yeah. the national media fell in love with him. They still are. You've got Mike Florio out there talking about the incredible work he did with Tannehill. Like I, I know we've had this debate, okay, about 2016 what would have happened if Tannehill doesn't get hurt you cannot make the case looking at the last three games okay Tannehill I don't care if Tannehill's shoulders falling off you can't make the case with that pocket presence that Gase has done tremendous work with Tannehill you can say it was derailed by the injuries to a certain he degree absolutely regressed injury or no injury he absolutely regressed this year from game, from game one really 
from game one. He was uh, Winningham made this point the first three games of the season that like he was not playing as well as the numbers indicated. All right, and and so and I came around to it as the year went on. So you still have the national media that was in love with Gase, and so then there was this competition for Gase's services. So you're like, oh, he's pretty good. Um, but look, Joe Philbin worked with Aaron Rodgers, and Adam Gase worked with Peyton Manning. Right? Okay. There's you know sometimes it's it's who you're around and. So I don't trust Steve Ross to find the next guy. So I'm at the stage now where, like, and that's why even the Lincoln Riley thing to me makes me nervous. Like, I, to me, I'm at the stage. I'm like, I want to see somebody who's done it, like without Steve Ross, like some somebody who's done it and is is committed. Like, it can't be somebody who's done it, like Bill Parcells with Heisinger bringing him in, but wanted to go watch the ponies. Okay. Or Nick Saban who admitted this week, he wasn't really cut out to be a pro coach or Jimmy Johnson who, you know, after he realized that he didn't really want to work with Marino, like kind of checked out and wanted to play with buttercup upstairs and trade stocks all day. Okay. Like I, I, I want somebody who still has some fire. I feel like Harbaugh. I don't want Mark Richt in other words. Okay. Like who came down here to retire. I, I we, that happens a lot in this market. It, I, it's yeah. been one of the problems with the Florida Panthers for years is they'll get these free agents with the exception of Yarmir Yager, who was just driven like nobody else in the sport, but they come down here and they don't really want to play anywhere. They want to play golf. I don't want that, okay? I feel like John I feel like that might be Jim Harbaugh at this stage. I don't feel like it's John Harbaugh. I feel like John Harbaugh would be driven still based on what we know of him. And so I would be okay with going to get that guy because I don't know that Steve Ross could fuck that up, frankly. Like I, I feel yeah. like so so I'm I'm on board with evaluating that. Um, but what I might do if I was Ross was find an executive who likes John Harbaugh. Like go get an executive. Uh, if, if that's your target, find an executive you think can work with that guy and would also be attractive to work with for Harbaugh and put the pieces together instead of this, what they've been doing, which is keep a piece and force somebody coming in to take him. I, that, 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 um, that drives me nuts. All right, so last question, rapid fire here uh, before this, our Zoom thing shuts me off. And I can't edit this thing because I don't have Winningham and I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, so your prediction, not who you think it should be, who you think it will be? I think it will be Dan Marino as VP, Chris Greer elevated to full control of pro player and draft personnel. Okay. I, I, I would be curious to see what the fans think of that. Um, I, I feel like most of them would be on board. I think one of the things to consider here is that the under 40 crowd in this market didn't even see Marino's 84 season. So it, it's yeah. – I, I think whereas in 2004 it was this incredible celebrity, well, now there was it, a guy on Twitter that said he wasn't even elite. So oh, I saw that. Oh my God, I can't even. I, for, for people who are, I mean, I'm 45. I mean, people who didn't see, and I was, I'm, I've acknowledged this before. I was a Jet fan at the time. I was on Long Island. Okay, I was arguing for Ken O'Brien. Right. Okay, at that stage, um, there was nothing in the NFL as terrifying as Tan Marino during about a four to five year stretch. Nothing. Okay. Yes. It, it, I, can tell, I can tell people right now that everybody who's listening to this podcast, I know that you're not used to this, but I'm old enough to remember <laughs> most of Marino's career. In fact, I remember his entire career. There were games where the dolphins were down 21 points and you really didn't sweat. You thought no. you had a chance to come back to win. Right. All, every right. single one of those games. Dolphins get down three now, and you know you're cooked. Okay, but but da- but down down twenty one. Yeah, no, there was total. I I mean, if you were on the other side, again, I was a Jet fan. Like, if you were on the other side, like you were, you were fucked basically. Like he was over there, and and the only other person in that twenty 
so year period that was like that in any sport was Michael Jordan. It was the only one. There, you, I, you didn't feel that way with Montana, okay, as much. It's, it's what Bill Walsh always said, uh, that Joe Montana was, and this is the guy who coached Montana and Steve Young, and he said Joe Montana was the product of a system. Dan Marino was a system. So I, I don't, I don't want to hear any more about how Marino wasn't that special because that's ridiculous. But I'll be curious to see what the younger demo thinks of it. The younger demo that's been so frustrated if they look at it like, oh, this is great, Dan Marino's here to save us, or, oh, Ross has run out of ideas and we've got a gimmick. It'll be interesting to see. The Dolphin demo tends to skew older than the Heat demo anyway, uh, and they are reverential towards Dan. The only thing I don't, the only reason I don't want it to happen, Alf, is that we were hoping to get Marino on the fish tank pot here in the next few weeks, and <laughs> if if uh, if he gets this job, that ain't happening. I, I just saw Chris Bosch in the Heat locker room. We we're supposed to get him on the Heat pod, and I'm like, or on on, on the Five Reasons pod, and I was like, oh, okay. He's working with the Heat now. Like, that's not going to happen either. So um, it's all about us. Anyway, you can find Alf at Uptown Report or Three Yards Per Carry. They'll have another episode this week. Um, Chris Kaufman is out on Adam Gase. Took him a while, but he's there. Uh, Simon Clancy is out on me. Talk to you soon. <laughs> What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. <laughs> Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done.